It's funny because it went on and 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 on until it didn't anymore. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Big Damn Class. Yes. You wanted it. You really, really wanted it, apparently. You really wanted to know what we thought of Class in its entirety, the BBC Three in, streaming digital series. In case it wasn't already blaringly obvious. We gave up early on, but questions persisted. You guys would talk about recent events of the show as it came out, and you got the better of us. I'm Big Damn Chris. I'm Big Damn Don't Care Anymore. And in today's Big Damn cast, we are dissecting the corpse of Class Series 1. You're picking over the fleshless skeleton. We've also got some of your questions related to Class that we'll get to toward the end. Uh, Naturally, spoiler alert for Season 1 of BBC TV's Class. Um, From the universe of Doctor Who. Yeah, from the Doctor Who Unitard. We... A few disclaimers. Um... <clears throat> we didn't enjoy it when it started. Um, so if you are a fan of class, if you adore class, I'm glad. I'm happy for you. I wish we did too. If you don't want to listen to criticism, because our criticisms will be constructive, but we will also probably well. flip... Well, they will. They will. From, a, from the perspective of performers and creators, you know, we'll be looking at it that way. But also, we're probably going to get carried away and slag it off for comedy's sake as we go on. So, um, if you don't want to listen to a show you like be torn apart, leave now. Yeah, that's fair enough. Leave now. Because this ends not, this episode will not be kind to the thing you like. But I am going to open up a can of whoopass on this show. Ah, nice. Can I open up a can of bungholes in time? <laughs> open your time bunghole, please. Oh, oh, it's a bit damp. A bit, sp- <laughs> bit spat out there around the edge. Oh, oh. So. Did it splatter on Ram's face? <clears throat> oh! They should have made that a running gag, and they in, didn't. In recent weeks, tabloids like The Mirror have uh, reported on Class's cancellation. As of us recording this episode. Alleged newspapers. Yeah, as, like of, as of us recording this episode, there has not been an official cancellation of Class, and it's still scheduled to go out on BBC America in the near future. Um. So maybe a future series will be based on American reaction. Who knows? We'll see. But let's let us consider this episode of Big Damn Cast as our Sayonara, our send off to this show. Because I'm not watching the second series. Yeah, if it gets if there is one. If it gets one, we will naturally bring it up in our news in a future ep. If it doesn't get one, a definitive cancellation, we'll mention it. But we ain't following up on the show again. No. We didn't want to watch beyond the episodes we watched, and even then we were pushing. However, we've watched it all in the interest of fairness, so we After can talk about it now. After two? I was like, hmm. Maybe. Hmm. After the first two, I was like, I'm not enjoying this, but I can see, I could see how it could keep me around. With episode three, I gave up. Yeah, they just, they squandered <clears throat> all of that possible... Or any any will, good or bad. Any, any, any will to continue. Good will, bad will, ill will. Big will, will Drew Hill, aha. <laughs> let's, let, let us do it then. Let's reach into our surgery bag and rip out the scalpel of filth. How, We're not even going to cleanse the scalpel. It doesn't deserve it. No, it's a rusty scalpel. Blunt blade. 
plunge straight in just under the trachea. Hmm. And we're going to pull all the way down, roughly, because it's like I said, it's a blunt scalpel. So we're going to drag it all <laughs> oh. the way down oh. to the pelvic bone. Oh, right through the genitals. Right, no, no. To, yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> no. We'll end at the perineum. We got... <laughs> Episode one. Go into the tank. We've already talked about the first three a bit, so we won't spend too long on them. But episode one of the show is called... For Tonight We Might Die. It's a shit title. It is pretty crap. Um, all the episodes have in common is they all have shit titles. Apart from the last one, but even then that title doesn't really relate to anything that happened in the episode. Nope. So there we go. For Tonight We Might Die, it's the first episode of Class... One of the two that originally dropped. We watched this back in October. Um, it is the story of a clusterfuck pretending to be an episode of television. Yep. So Charlie's a prince from a race that has died. His guardian and one of his teachers, Ms. Quill, is uh, the only surviving warrior of the race he was his, was fighting against and is now his life slave, basically his life debt slave because of bugs in her head making a protected. Yeah, she can't use weapons <clears throat> and she can only fight in defence of him. Threatened. Yeah. yeah. Uh his classmates include April, a bland violin playing bland person, Ram, a blandly predictable jock aggressive footbally lad character. Yeah. Who isn't their friend but is their friend apparently. He's not their friend. The fourteen year old Tanya, who just sort of makes quirky comments about everyone else. That, this is the thing with Tanya. Let's, and is also friends with 17-year-old Ram. She's tutoring him quietly on the side. Let's address this before we go anywhere else. Okay. So Tanya is has been stated to have been brought up early to sixth form because she's an exceptional student. Right. But she's 14 years old. Yeah. Why is that a thing? It isn't. Who... Why does that need to be a part of her character? It's never adequately explored in terms of her character why that is important. No. Why couldn't she have just been another student? Not even her intellect. It's not even done. There's not even like a thing where you find out that she... No. She was pushed to be smarter because of upbringing or she somehow tied... Like, it'd be interesting if maybe she was... It had been influenced. She had an important reason for it. Like, these bad guys, the governors, will get to them. Like... Well, like, she's exceptionally bright. We need her. She needs to associate with this circle because in time it's going to prove useful to us. Like, none of that happens. Nothing comes up. As to <clears throat> she's clearly smart, but not necessarily exceptionally so. A top student, but not, not a genius. Just as clueless as the rest of them in terms of interactions in yeah. the show. Um, she's also, like you said, the only reason she seems to be younger than them is so that she and April can have some forced tension in episode six. Mm. And... Apart from that, the only other thing her age is attached to is every now and again she goes like, I'm 14, and I and it's like, right, okay. You keep reminding us of this, but why is it important? These are our four main characters. Oh, wait, there's a fifth. Mm-hmm. Matus, Charlie's boyfriend. Um, lad is in a family. He's, his family from Poland. His parents are apparently not particularly accepting of him being in a relationship with Charlie, which they don't play on with really more than a couple of conversations in episodes one and three. So they don't really use any drama from that. Because he gets kicked out straight away. And yeah, then... is he living with them? 
by after episode three, or is yeah. it just in episode three he stays, like, well, he stays at the he, house? After that, he's living with Charlie and Miss Quill. Okay, right. So, but also, it, it's it's sort of, he keeps making references to, oh, I'm the pole and all this. Is, do Polish families have, like, is Poland sort of against homosexuals? I, I, I'm not that. Because I mean, no more than any other. I've been to Poland, yeah. and there were all walks of life there, both in terms of race and social stuff, and class interacting, and, and sexuality. Like, I would imagine that's just something unique to his family, right? Or at least like it's just their views. So, I don't know if that's got why can't we meet them to learn more about this relationship and focus on actual drama that does exist? Then, oh, because it's only eight episodes. Can we actually get to know any of the families well enough to focus no. on the drama? No. no okay, no. fair enough. Okay. So in episode one, the shadows keep appearing and these soldiers keep appearing out of them in the school and they've not killed anyone yet, but Quill is killing students by giving them her gun to shoot them with. And what it's doing is it's firing, if I remember correctly, it's firing the shadow monsters away to a different part of the universe, or firing them back home, in exchange for the life of the person holding the gun. If I remember correctly, that's how it worked. Because that was why it was tense that when April had the gun, and like, that was another thing, as well, she held the gun, and like, this tentacle comes out of it, and wraps around her hands to make sure she's holding it, which never happens again. Um, Regardless of who's holding the gun. So that was the whole tension, wasn't it? The idea is that, like, you're going to shoot that thing, and it's going to send it away. But then the gun... But you'll die, you have to die... To give the energy for this, because if you remember correctly, the gun sort of almost gives them a put, like it makes the portal that sends them away again. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, I got, what? Now this is just episode one. If I remember correctly, there was a bit in episode one where it's Charlie, Quill, and April in the corridor around that scene with her having the gun. Yeah. Where a thousand years of expo- ex- uh, uh, exposition Literally is fired at the screen. Years. Yeah. In a barrage of bollocks, and it assumes that you took it all in. Thing is, when you look at it, it doesn't actually make sense itself. So, this is how our series starts. Shadow monsters are attacking, Quill and Charlie know something about it, they're the Shadow Kin, apparently they're the people that killed... Like, they either killed their... No, I got... Right. They didn't kill their people, did they? But the Shadow Kin <laughs> were a big part of the, the war that was happening, right? The Shadow Kin had tried to kill them before, or whatever. Yeah. Or something. Oh, God. <clears throat> so... The point is, they know what these monsters are, because they're alien, and they know what these aliens are. And they're like, they're bad, we've got to get rid of them. Why are they here? Maybe they've found you and they want to kill you or something. Right, okay. Um, They attack the school on the night of the prom. You know, those famous British proms we have. In because remember correctly, it's the autumn prom? It's like the welcome back to school prom? I don't remember having a single, like... Primary school, in primary school, we had a disco, and then we had a leavers do at the end of year 11 of high school. These guys were in sixth form. Yeah. I don't remember having a single party of that kind in a sixth form. No, not at all. Not at all. And maybe it's because it's that whole, like, sixth form within a school thing now. Like, because obviously we went to sixth form separately, we went to college after high school. But even then, I don't understand why they would do that. Why would they single them out? I just, I, I think it's there just to sort of make it a little more appealing to Americans, plus they wanted to... They wanted blood at a prom, like Carrie. It's what they wanted. Mm. So they all get together in this tiny frickin' school hall, which was in the caretaker. I remember that! Um, it's the one set from the caretaker that will be reused several times during the series to reestablish. Like, that is technically the one connecting tissue to Doctor Who, that room. Um, 
Oh, and the headmaster, but we'll get to him. So there's that. The Shadow King attack on Prom Night for reasons. Um, because April shoots the Shadow King's king, who is called Coriacanus. Is it Coriacanus? Or as we just call him... Coriacanus. Or we just call him King Anal. King Anal. She shoots King Anal, and somehow their hearts are attached. Now, their hearts are one thing. Yeah. One can't survive without the other. It's some blatant Dumbledore, Harry Potter... Uh, Dumbledore. It's some blatant uh, Voldemort, Harry Potter shit right there. It's like, your existence relies on their continued existence. And then it's not really explored beyond that, because it's episode one, and obviously they're setting it up. Then it doesn't get touched upon again until a random two-parter episode um, four and five. Oh, God. Okay, so... Yeah. Yeah. Um... During the attack, there's some violent, bloody gore. One genuinely brilliant moment when Ram's girlfriend gets stabbed through the back. Sword comes through and there's blood splatters all over Ram. It's proper evil dead. I remember us praising that at the time. And when his leg gets severed and he's, he's lay there and he pulls away and the rest of his leg stays yeah. in place. That is some brilliant gore. Not enough blood in that moment. It should be pouring out of him. But that is some brilliant gore. He also shouldn't be able to hop without bleeding to death, hold a chair and smack a Shadowkin with a chair. Oh, yeah, that happens. Well, I think it's implied that the swords cauterize. I wouldn't have that, though. I wouldn't have that. You still wouldn't have the energy or the sense to hop. Oh, granted, though. Hop at, if, you, if you smacked him with the chair, you would fall over. That's something bleeding to death, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, fair dues. So. But don't worry, he won't bleed to death because there's a doctor in the house. <laughs> Because this episode is basically, Smaling's going to come here and kill everyone. Oh, we're saved by the Doctor because he, shit you not, waves his sonic screwdriver about. Nah, though. Nah, though? Nah, no, no. Nah, though? Nah, I'm not having nah, it. Though. Not having it. How does the Doctor get rid of the Shadow King? He, he says they, they need to, shadows to exist, because we've not heard that before. They need shadows to exist. So what does he do to get rid of them? Him and Tanya, I believe? They turn up all the yeah. lights. They stop the party. Do you know what lights do? They cast shadows? Yeah. So, the fuck? Yeah. To get rid of the Shadowkin, you should technically turn out all the lights. Then they'd be gone, because there's no shadows. This was Patrick Nessie's first experience of television. Mm-hmm. BBC came to him with a check, which was the the entire budget for BBC Three's flagship drama series, and said, here you go, Mr. Young Adult North, who's never written a TV show before, create and write as a TV show. As far as I'm aware, I believe he was being kept in mind to write an episode of Doctor Who, but they wanted to do oh, it. They so wanted to this entire spin-off then. Oh no, but they wanted to do a spin-off and they went, "Do you want to do it?" And he went, "Okay." Um so it's a bit more scattered like that. Do you know what I mean? It's like maybe him writing one episode of Doctor Who would be a lot less painless. I don't know. We can't judge his work as a writer because neither of us have read any of his books in terms of him as, a, as an author. He wrote We've not read the his calls, books, which has recently been adapted as a movie and released. Yeah, and has been has been sort of circle jerked and heavily praised, but before mm. its release, like before its release, it was getting all these sort of wonderful write ups and everything, in a way that made me go, "This yeah. has put me off seeing this movie because I'm being told this film is amazing." I'm like, "Tell me, give me the basic premise of the movie, and pull me in to go and see it." Don't tell me it's amazing before it's come out, because I'm just like, who's saying this? Mm. The trailer I saw for it before um, Fantastic Beasts in November was 
a random talking heads interview with Patrick Ness, the director, Liam Neeson, Felicity Jones, and someone else, with clips of the movie inserted in between it. And I was like, what is this? What the hell is this? But we, we can't judge him as an author. I'm sure, I'm sure, like, he's a bestseller for a reason. Uh, he's, he, a movie adaptation of one of his books has happened for a reason. I'm sure he's, he's an excellent young adult author. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he will go on to write better television. He'll have honed his craft more. I don't know that this experience in television will be positive enough for him to continue. Yeah, well... I wouldn't. Class isn't very well written. Episode 1 is a clusterfuck. It's it's very it's very poorly written as a series. It's written as an it's written as an info dump. Episode one is an info dump. It's almost like it's written like a novel, perhaps. You mean in the sense that the, it feels like things are moving quickly because we don't actually have time to go inside a character. It feels character's like, head. It feels and, like a lot of the things that people say are things that should be said in the text of a book and not actually used as dialogue because they don't sound like dialogue. Almost almost every character is either making a terrible, quirky quip. Or giving a preachy speech about something. Pretty much. There's no natural, there's no genuinely natural dialogue anywhere in that first episode. Not at all. <clears throat> so at the end, biggest problem I have with its connection to Doctor Who is in episode one. The Doctor takes Ram into the TARDIS, there's no reference made to that really, and somehow gives him a like cybernetic alien repl- prosthetic leg. Um, and is, is just clearly fine with the anachronism of that, he's fine with it. Um, he then basically goes, right, there are splits in time here. And they're like, what, like the Hellmouth in Buffy? Go fuck yourselves. Um, don't dare compare yourself to Buffy. You're a show set, you are a show set in a school. That is where the comparisons end. It takes seriously, it takes serious bollocks to invoke the name of the show you are trying to ape and can't even touch. Mm. You have to be doing top-notch work yep. to even get close to being able to invoke the name of that, of something like Buffett in your show and compare yourself to it in the show. And this is just piss poor. Yeah. So it, all you're doing is inviting is inviting <clears throat> comparison to a far superior work. It does really want to be it. And especially the mission statement set by the Doctor. There is this portal, these bung holes in time. They're going to open... Things are going to come through. You have to defend them because I can't be everywhere at once. He says no, you, the character no, who owns a no, time machine. No, you literally can be. That's yes. exactly what you can do. Yeah. You you travel in time and space, so you can, in theory, be everywhere at once. But no, he can't be no, everywhere. No, at no, once. no, but he can. So though. you children and you homicidal alien maniac who is regret like um uh, uh um resistantly tethered to another and is one freedom quest away from being a murderer of you know what I mean? Like she she's a violent being apparently and she can she will kill if she's able to. I want you guys to all hang out and face these monsters and aliens. Do me proud, bye. And the only reason they have to take this guy's word is because Charlie and Quill met him before. Like, he's the one who rescued them, basically, and put them on Earth. Why would he do that? The more I think about this show, the angrier I'm getting. He wouldn't put them on Earth, would he? He wouldn't. He might. 
Why would he randomly put them on Earth in a school? Why would he put them in Coal Hill School? Why would all these things be happening at Coal Hill School, other than brand recognition? Which I never got either. Let's set it in Coal Hill, an iconic Doctor Who location, all the marketing said. That word is that word has been killed. That word has been slaughtered. That word has had its neck cut in its sleep. Iconic means fuck all now. Yeah. Um, Coal Hill is not an iconic location in Doctor Who. It's a significant location in the show's history in that it was the setting of the very first episode. It's revisited. And then and then it gets a nice nod in in the fiftieth. It's the setting of Remembrance of the Daleks, and a few episodes in eight and nine deal with Clara working there. That always felt forced in series eight and nine. Yeah, yeah. That was just its inclusion in Day of the Doctor didn't feel gratuitous. We were mostly at that point just like, wait, Clara's a teacher? That was that was the confusion. Yeah, it was like yeah. Clara's a teacher now. Um, it's because she can do anything, Chris. Oh God, she can literally do anything. Mm-hmm. What do you need? What do you need someone to do in this week's episode? Uh, snog, all right. snog um, Jane Austen. Right, Clara can do that. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, what else do you need someone to do? What do you need someone to do in the next episode? Uh, correct the universe and set it completely to rights. All right, Clara can do that. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, be a compelling character that isn't a total arse. Shit, I don't know how I write those. <laughs> You're not clever enough. So, um, yeah. Uh, the point I was making was, Coal Hill is not an iconic location. The Doctor would not be like, I'm going to send you to Coal Hills. Do you know what I mean? That's not what he would do. Mm. That's not what he would do. Um, you could argue that, well, he's taken them there because he knows, like, he's blended in before using that school as cover. Like, sending his granddaughter there. Yeah. But that's not... He wouldn't do that. He wouldn't well, put also, you, He wouldn't put a dangerous yeah. alien homicidal maniac and the child she's tethered to. He didn't abandon his granddaughter in the school. He's living in the junkyard down the lane. Yeah. Oh, God. So, in the show, Doctor Who, played by Peter Capaldi, written like David Tennant, yeah, yeah. Whimsically says, this is your mission statement. You're going to protect the school. Bye! Do you think Patrick Ness has actually watched any of Dick Peterpolly's Doctor Who? I, I, I'll be honest, I will come to his defence there. There is no definitive character for that incarnation. Fair enough. So he just wrote Doctor and gave it to Peter Capaldi. And Peter Capaldi is very entertaining in that five minutes that he's in the episode. I mean, Peter Capaldi is generally entertaining, although he's often hampered by terrible material in Doctor Who. Yeah. Here he's given fun material, probably because it's that whole thing of, oh my god, I get to write the Doctor for an episode? I'm going to pour everything into this. It just happened to be Tennant's Doctor who's writing. Um, so there's that. The Doctor leaves the children to face off with evil creatures. Week one, not a fan. Didn't enjoy it. But I was left with this open hope. We were talking about this before we recorded. We were left with this feeling of, is this going to be a Monster of the Week show? Because I'm not going to lie, I'm a bit of a sucker for a Monster of the Week show. Yeah. Because I like the inventiveness of the writers when they come up with new creatures, new threats. I like how the characters' lives, usually in the subplots, develop over time, dealing with an amount of things like this over time. Buffy did that incredibly well. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like, in terms of the Monster of the Week format. Recent kids' programs like the Sarah Jane Adventures and even the comedy puppet show Strange Hill High dealt with that. Trapdoor is a monster of the week show. The claymation, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're Trapdoor talking about. Trapdoor is an excellent example yeah, yeah. of a monster of the week show. Yeah, 
Smallville was Monster of the Week. Like, Angel is Monster of the Week. You can do Monster of the Week and it be really cool. The X-Files. X-Files Monster of the Week, exactly. It kind of popularised the format. Exactly. Well, there you go. Even better. Perfect. Monster of the Week can be really entertaining because it's about creativity. Problem is, you need different writers and different voices to do that. If you have the same writer, eh, eh, doesn't it work? It's okay, though, because we've only got the budget for eight episodes. Oh, God. I think they have the budget for four and stretched it to eight. Because we get Monster of the Week for two episodes, really. Yeah. Episode two, The Coach with the Dragon Tattoo. We get a two-part in an eight-episode series. Mm-hmm. Smart decisions. But in, but in episode two, we get Coach with the Dragon Tattoo. We discover that <sighs> one of these things has apparently opened at some point in the past, these bung holes. This creature... Has latched on to the PE coach, the PE teacher, and it eats people. No, it doesn't eat people, does it? Um, it's no, it does. It does. Like it he has to feed. Skin? He has to. Yeah, he, it takes their skin. It feeds off of that to survive, and its mate is looking for it. I think it says a lot that we can't. Actually oh no, he t- he takes the, the skin off. He takes the skin off, and its mate arrives and actually no, its mate does that and fucking hell. The point <laughs> is, the point is, the point is, it's it's the plot of Doctor Who's hide, but told between a tattoo of a dragon, a dragon, and a, and a piggy teacher who's happy to murder people. He loves it. He loves murdering people and then taking a shower afterwards. This episode is about... Oh god. This episode is about Ram and about him coming to terms with the death of his girlfriend. Which which should have been his arc for the whole series. I'm not saying keep him in mourning and shock the whole series. But that the whole series should have been him finding himself after that happened. Mm-hmm. Like his world was torn apart in in a very literal sense. His girlfriend was murdered in front of him. He discovered alien life. His leg was hatched off. Everything was affected. The series arc for him should have been him suddenly re- him trying to come to terms with the world. The, the galaxy is a bigger, scarier place than I realised. That should be it. Instead, he's fine with it by the end of it too. Um, Ram's investigating it. Somehow no one's noticing his fucking robot leg because he wears tall socks. Of course. Um, Funny one in the changing room too. His dad wants to know what's going on in his life in another in one of many brief scenes where the parents are introduced to us. It's shown to us that they're decent people. Oh, but now they're gone. But don't worry. Your emotional investment in them in this two minutes will pay off in episode eight, we yes. promise. Yeah, we promise it will. Um, this episode is horrible. <laughs> the character interactions are... Really, really forced and awful. As they are throughout the entire series. There is a subplot with a robot inspector. Oh, God. Who Quill is trying to suss out, like, snogs him to get a reaction. And, and is this the this first stuff. time the governors come up? This, yeah, the governors have sent an inspector. So obviously you assume it's the board of governors for, you know, the education board or whatever. The Why council. the hell did a... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a robot. So, but it's And from... it's only inspecting Quill's lessons. And it's blatantly a robot. And she throws it at the dragon so that it gets killed so she hasn't actually harmed it. So she's like, someone's spying on us and this person's been sent to spy on us. I've asked it questions, it won't give me anything right, I'll get it killed. And then that's not really touched on again till episode five. 
um, with the headmistress. But, oh, fuck. So, also what's awful about this one, it's really freaking awful, is this is the episode where they try and sort of make a bold statement. Now, one episode in, we don't know who this is for. It's not for younger teens because it's too visceral and violent in places. Yeah. It's not for sort of 20-somethings because it doesn't seem... It seems like it's trying to be the 16-year-old's version of what mature is. A bit like... Like, when you're 15, 16, you're like, I, I know shit now, I'm an adult, I get things. And then at age 18, you look back over the last two years and go, I really didn't. A bit like I how, really didn't get things. A bit like how Torchwood could be at its worst. Yes. Mm. Absolutely. Torchwood, for the most part, I'm going to say it, wasn't the worst thing on television. But there are moments... There are moments where, where it's like, really bad. Like Cyber Woman. Like, that's a Chibnall episode. Written by future Doctor Who Lee. Can you see? Can you see Chris why Chibnall. I'm not ecstatic about yeah. it? Um, he's a decent writer, but I just I don't know how I feel. But Cyberwoman. Um, Cyberwoman. Um, the majority, Cyberwoman. the the padded episodes of Miracle Day. Yeah, the ones that were clearly I didn't pad it out. Miracle Day, I couldn't be bothered. Excellent beginning, really cool middle, some fun at the end. Mostly padding because Stars Network said to Russell C. Davis, "We want you to do what you did for Children of Earth. Great, here's five episodes. No, we want ten. All oh, right. Okay. So you don't want me to do what I did for Children of Earth? Then. Yeah. Like... A, tight, a tightly constructed, well-told five-hour story. Yeah. Because Children of Earth is some of the best television I've ever seen in my lifetime going out on TV. Children of Earth was excellent. I think that's strong for me, but I liked it. Yeah. Hey. I liked it a lot. Hey. Yes. So, um, series one's got some real gems in it. Series two's got some real gems in it. There's also not some great stuff in between it all. Um, Class is... It doesn't know who it's aiming itself at, and that's evident by the end of episode one. Episode two tries to get rid of at least one part of the audience, and that's the younger part of the audience. Because they make a statement. They take a character introduced to us in the family TV show Doctor Who. This is the headmaster, who we meet in Into the Dalek. And more prominently than the caretaker. And uh, then we see him in uh, Dark Water. Yeah. We meet the head teacher, who is portrayed in those as sort of a lovely, slightly yeah, slightly bumbling in, man. And in this. Also. In the first episode of class, a lovely, slightly yeah. bumbling man. Yeah. In the episode two of class, a lovely, slightly bumbling man whose head gets crushed beneath the foot of a dragon in a really prolonged shot with blood coming out the side of his head. And then we see his skin body. Yeah. They kill off the lovely comedy headmaster from Doctor Who, in a vicious, gory death. That is the moment where class goes, this ain't your freaking, this isn't your dad's Doctor Who. This ain't your daddy's Doctor Who spin-off. This, take the kids out of the room. <laughs> but that, it, that, that's the moment where it's saying, this is for adults. Yeah, yeah. You know, Or, you know, mid to late teenagers who think that this is adult. It's not. But that's the, that's the statement it's making. Yeah. Yeah. It lost my respect in that moment. I was like, you don't have this character in your show at all, or you have him in, but you don't bring him into the violent shit. You definitely had a, more of a problem than the, with this than I did, but I definitely saw what you're saying. Well, I have more of a problem with it in retrospective, having now binged it all. Yeah. Because yeah. they get rid of him to bring in another character. That's why he's taken out. And another character who just... All she does is wander around the, the show and say... Vague things that make no sense. But we'll get to her. Episode three. Now this, and I'm going to say it, this could have been a brilliant piece of television. 
could have been. Could have been. Episode three, uh, entitled... Yeah, Night Visiting. Night Visiting. Could have been an excellent piece of television. It really could have been. There's a thing, it's, it's, it looks like vines the sprawling Lankin. out of the Lankin. Lankin. The Lankin. Sprawling out of one of the uh, bung holes in time. Oh, you know. Um, Every time you now, say that. Every time you say that. You remember that it was said in a television show. And I die a little inside. Yep. Yep. Oh, um, the Lankins, these green vines that look like, sort of like a plant, sprawling everywhere. And at the end of them are deceased loved ones appearing in the homes of their family. Usually talking to one person directly. It try, it yes. basically, what it wants, its ultimate goal, as far as we can tell, is it feeds off of like their sorrow and, and, and their joy. Like it feeds off of those emotions. The, the basics is it want, it's luring you to come and give them a hug, basically. You come and give that person a hug and it, suddenly the cord yaks back and it pulls you to the dimension where it's from, where you'll be devoured, assumedly. I, yeah. Presumably. We see it, we see it happen once, we see that person on the street. Yeah. And, and then we see him go back into the hole, but then, we don't know if it feeds on them bodily or if it is an emotional. I, I would thing. I would assume that it's sort of a, it's a it's a mix. Like it, it, the way it ensnares its yeah. prey is through sort of like grabbing, getting their trust and then pulling them in. But it's see, um, it, it, it seems like a Venus, to, like a Venus flytrap with a bag of lollipops. It seems to strengthen. It seems to strengthen the <laughs> like a Venus flytrap inside an ice cream truck. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure, that's the thing. Um, it seems to strengthen when Tanya gets. More into the memories of her father, and then as she becomes less, and she be- believes less in it, it seems to weaken. Yeah. So it seems to have some sort of. Mm. So, so, so there, there is an vampirism. Exactly. So to me, it would make a lot more sense to, for the the thing to be that it gets a hold of you, and then and there, it's got you, and it feeds off of that emotion. Yeah. Rather than pulls you back into something, because when you're being yanked, you're not going to be feeling the same emotion you were feeling a second ago. You're going to be going ah! <laughs> like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It'd be more sinister if it was a case of like it grabs you and then just starts to like envelop them. Mm. Then it would be scary because it's like, oh shit, it's got them. But it doesn't do that. Either way, still kind of an interesting premise. The dead not really being there, but for all intents and purposes being there. You could do some great character stuff with this. Mm. It's the sort of character stuff that would be doubly effective if this were a later season and it were a character we had seen die returning. Again. Yeah. Can you hear a lot of that? Yeah, as we go, definitely. Oh, God. So, we know that Tanya's dad is dead. It was mentioned briefly in the second, yeah, second episode, because they had this habit in the first half of the series of teeing up what the next one was going to be about. Yeah. With a random moment in it that came out of nowhere. Um, not so much in episode one, but in episode two, there was a bit where Tanya was going on about her father to Ram. Yeah. Um, then, oh, God. So, we see her dad. Her dad died when she was young. There is some, there is some brilliant grounds for some excellent drama here in character interaction. Within about three sentences, Tony goes, "You're not my dad. You're an alien." The character, the attitude of all the characters in this episode is oh, another alien invasion. We're in episode three. They've seen two things. But I could, then, under, I could understand but, it if there'd been throwaway references, even to just like. Um, oh god, this is like that. Those metal blokes in my street when I was a kid. There is just a- something like that that makes you go, you know. Oh, at least they're, they're used to invasions happening. Yeah. And there is a there is a trio of spin-off novels, mm. but again, no references made to any of that stuff. It, yes. feel, it doesn't feel like time passes in between these episodes. No, it feels like it, the whole thing takes place over the course of a week. Yeah, or maybe well, maybe a month. Maybe 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 it just felt like a month. 
um, but you were just touching a lightning bolt in, a, in not, a desert. It, it did not feel like it. God, I fucking hate saying it. I, 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 it does not feel like much time has passed over the course of this series. No, these eight episodes. So, dead ones, dead people are reappearing everywhere. Toward the uh, subplot of this one is Charlie and Matus having a conversation in bed. The sub subplot is the blossoming relationship of yeah April and Ram. <sighs> you say you say blossoming. I say add water to taste. <laughs> the cup of soup relationship. Yeah, of April and Ram. It's like in the, in, in this episode. <laughs> in this episode. In the space of two minutes, someone puts the powder, hot water in the cup, gives it a stir and goes, there you go, it was there all along. It's like, no, it wasn't. No, it freaking wasn't. They have a conversation. I think they're going to Tanya. Yeah, they're going to Tanya. Yeah. They're walking to Tanya's house. Has she phoned them or text them or something? I think so. But they're walking to Tanya's house and and they stop at a bus stop. And they have loads of conversations along. They see people like entwined in the in the vines, randomly sat on the street. That's never explained what that's about. Just people just lay there, just like coiled up. Yeah, because it they takes never... you back to the thing when it gets you. <clears throat> but these are people just laying on the street, yeah. tied up. So what's that got to do with why are they not seeing already the monster logic's out the window? The monster of the week vibe is already disappearing because yeah. the rules are changing. There's, there's, everything is very poorly divine and not. For the amount of exposition that these fucking characters have to spout, yeah. everything is very poorly defined mm. and not very well explained. But she's at war with herself, Matt. She is war itself! No, 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 no. <laughs> we'll freaking hammer that <laughs> April makes a point of saying to Ram that she's at war with herself. We, 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 with learn, herself. we learn about her dad out of nowhere. I yeah. wonder why. Oh, yes, because it's their hint oh, to next God, week's yes. story. Um... April's dad tried to take his own life when she was younger by crashing the car he was in. She and her mum were also in the car. Yeah. There is some excellent traumatic drama you could draw in there. Like, there's some character stuff where you're like, my God, you could do so much with this. And they do a bit of it in episode five. It's done poorly in episode four. Episode five handles it a lot better. But episode three just comes out of nowhere. That's the thing. Mm. And then they make out. April and Ram make out. They start snogging. In their rush to get to their friend. Because there is one main tendril, and it seems to be the one leading toward Tanya. So, we find out later, that is the main, that's like the the main consciousness of the being or whatever. Because Because she has, well, because she has more, like she has the more sorrow in her heart than anyone else. Keep in mind, there's talk in this episode of this thing's being spread throughout all of London. You're telling me in all of London, Tanya is the most grief-filled person in all of London. She doesn't seem Even it. though she got over it. Like, she, she makes a point of saying, like, she... In fact, this is how she defeats the monster. She hates her dad. And I don't know if it's... She true. hates her dad for leaving them by dying. And she knows that's stupid, but she hates him. Because she defeats the monster yeah. by hating her dad. And I don't know if it's... What a great message. I don't know if it's People die and it's not, it's not their choice and, and nothing can be done about it. You should hate them for that. You should hate them for that. You should hate them for that. I don't, I don't know God if it's the material... It. Or the performances, or if it's a mix of the two, but I don't buy any of it. No. Any of her performance, any of her motivation. No. no. The guy playing the dad's doing the best job he can, but the problem is, the episode starts with him sat in the bedroom, and then it's 45 minutes of him sat in the bedroom. There should have been more at the beginning. I mean, there's a flashback, I think, at the beginning, isn't there? There's like a montage. Yeah. But there should have been more to the episode. 
Like the end of act. If you're going to go with Buffy, go with the Buffy structure. There are three ad breaks in an episode of Buffy. And when you watch the episodes back, there is a moment where it goes, Dun! and then the scene carries on a moment later. You should use the three-act structure that Buffy uses if you're going to take anything away from Buffy. Mm-hmm. Um, because end of Act 1 should be her waking up to see her father sat at the end of the bed. That should be end of Act 1 of the episode. Instead, this show, and this is something that's in all the episodes, the, the low budget is painfully apparent in this show. Budget shouldn't hamper characters or storytelling. You can find ways around it, you can write ways around it, but these episodes are so plainly low budget because they are always in the, every episode takes place in the same three locations in this case Charlie's bedroom Tanya's bedroom the street and you can't do a show like this if you're not going to throw money at it yeah if you or, don't or, have the or, budget or, to do the show don't do the fucking show yeah I mean Doctor Who series 1 massive scale it ends with a massive scale it ends with hundreds of Daleks and spaceships it feels big why? Because they held back. They knew that it had to build up to a moment. Yeah. There's a decent amount of budget, a decent budget in episode one and two in terms of practical effects because they want you to go, ooh, in the first couple of weeks. Yeah. They save it then. Yeah. They save it. The reason why there's one Dalek in Dalek, aside from it being an adaptation of Jubilee, is because it costs less money to just have the one Dalek. You can and, then save that money up for and, later. And what did the BBC do really well? Budget. Costume dramas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's Doctor Who a show about? Time travel. What do you do as many of as you can get away with? Past set stories. Usually in the Victorian era. Boom! There you go. Boomtown is an episode that had, not literally, but close enough, no budget. It's set in fucking it had day no budget. And Russell T. Davis' script and the performers and the direction make it work. It is a great 45 minutes of television. And it's it gives... It's Midnight! Yeah, midnight. arguably the greatest episode of and Doctor Who in modern times, as far as episodes of television go, not just Doctor Who. Midnight is a freaking technological achievement. It is brilliant, and it all takes place in one room. And they're both episodes mm. that let the characters develop yep. and breathe. Yes. What doesn't anyone in this show do? Develop, develop or breathe. breathe. Or and, emote. and the writing and the direction and the acting isn't good enough to do a midnight, to do yeah, a boomtown. Yeah. Like, you can tell amazing stories with a limited budget. You can. But everyone has to be on the top of their game. Yes. And, and night visiting falls. And also, isn't night visiting, the title comes from a lyric of a song. The that, title comes that, from a folk song that April's, April's dad used to sing. It, it's, uh, okay. So the title's got something to do with April's dad, when April's dad has nothing to do with the episode, apart from a forced in bit of dialogue. The song was about spirits of the dead visiting the families at night. Convenient. Yeah. Well, it's made up. Can we also... One last thing to say about this episode before we move on. Uh, The evil is defeated because Tanya hates her father and that weakens it. And then Quill steals a bus and drives it through the tentacle. Sure. Sure, all right. And then the episode ends with them all like, oh, I'm glad you're okay. Oh, oh, same old, same old. And Quill's like, is no one going to thank me? Yeah, gag, 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 gag. <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, Why did we watch all of this? We uh, did it in the interest of fairness. Okay, here we go. Episode four. I watched this for the first time yesterday as of this recording. Co-owner of a lonely Co-owner heart. Co-owner of a lonely Fuck you. <laughs> what a title. What a shitty title. 
So, <coughs> so we take a bland character. We've told, we've decided that bland character is definitely part alien and possibly turning she's evil. Definitely, definitely part alien. She can wield scimitars. She's yeah. a vicious warrior. She really is. And a lot yeah. of that is down to the directing, and a lot of it is down to the acting, and a lot of it is down to the editing, and a lot of it is down to the writing. April is not an imposing character, and I don't feel threatened by her turning bad, unquote. She's connected to the Shadow King's uh, Shadow King's King, King Anal. King Anal can feel what she feels. She and Ram have spontaneous unplanned sex. Um and then it's implied that the Shadow King Anal just gave front anal to a female member of his palace. Well because April finishes before because he Because April but because April finishes before he does. He has performance issues. He has performance issues and then asks for a cuddle. Can I remind you? This is the quote unquote Big bad of the yeah, series. Yeah. This is the the thing we're meant to be terrified of. You know, but it's funny when the master <laughs> to refer to refer funny. to a it's better show. When funny. the master, the big bad, a, coin, a term coined by Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the big bad of Buffy the Vampire Slayer season one was humorous. It's because the character enjoyed being evil. His character was. He delighted in being depraved and, and violent. It, and it was usually darkly humorous. Yes, yeah, it was twisted. This was not a nice person. Yeah. The Shadow King King, um, King Anus, is, is, is just, we are war. Because that's what everyone is in the show. Everyone is war. <laughs> we are war. Class. You are war. Everyone is war. And we are war. <laughs> and that is war. What about that puppy? It is war. And it is war. Um, he's, he shouldn't be, we shouldn't be laughing at him. No. We should be scared of him. I know. Um, he's fucking ridiculous. So he's, that Sauron looking motherfucker and his knockoff Mount Doom. He's got no gravitas, no presence, and zero threat. Now, that's not down to the actor. I think the actor's trying his damn best under all that makeup. The, and I will say this the look of that creature is cool. The effect of the ash and the smoke coming off them at all times that was a bit much. is cool. It was a bit much, but it is only because we see them so much. Yeah. If he was just in episode one, and then returned in a story later for one one off, yeah. it would still look cool. For shadowy, stealthy creatures, we see an awful fucking lot of them. <laughs> April's dad comes back, and that's when Mouse spends a rage. She nearly kills him. The great Con O'Neill is cast in a thankless role. Yeah. And this is how you know a show is badly directed. I've only ever seen Con O'Neill, to my memory, in two different things. Those things are the Channel 4 series Cucumber and the BBC3 uh, comedy show Uncle. Whenever I see Con O'Neill... So prior to this, it is in two shows that are very well made. Excellent scripts do their job. One is a brilliant drama, uh, sort of like a dark um, drama series about human flaws and relationships. Mm-hmm. The other one is a very quirky, very well told comedy drama series where he plays the most outlandish character in there in terms of the reality of that show. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but also wouldn't Cucumber be a good tonally? Be a good thing for class to try and echo since it deals with, it, with, with a lot its, of young people and it deals a lot with a lot of relationships. With a lot of like sexuality as a, as a focal point for those characters and their relationships in teenagers. Yes, it would be a great thing to set its, set its sights on a source of it to, you know, um, emulate. Does it have any of that? No. <laughs> it has It has the uh, 14-year-old girl scrolling through Tumblr looking for safe, non-threatening boys or this gay couple will do. I'm going to ship them now. That's the sort of relationship <laughs> they aim for. ship them. It's a show aimed at people who will ship the characters. I have thoughts about shipping, but we'll leave that for another day. Thor and Loki's about shipping. Ugh. So, 
Con O'Neill, my brain only ever associates him with good stuff. When I saw him in Corner of a Lonely Heart, oh, Corner of a Lonely Heart, my, my head couldn't get around it. He looked awful. He looked weird. He looked out of place. And it's because my head, my subconscious, associates him with good stuff. And here he was in a not good thing. And it felt weird. A mark of quality. It felt weird. Do you know what I mean? It'd be like suddenly seeing... It'd be like a thing with the bum. It'd be like suddenly seeing Ian McKellen in a Jimmy Fallon skit. <laughs> it'd be like, what is this? This does not feel right. This feels wrong. You look crap because of this thing you're yeah. in. Yeah. It's really weird. Con does his damn best. In episode one, his lines are mostly... I, 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 that's mostly his lines in episode yeah. one. <laughs> in episode two, and we'll skip ahead now, we'll merge the two. We'll merge the two. In episode two, which is Brave-ish Heart. Brave-ish Fuck you oh. twice. <laughs> do not, do not reference the better thing. Um, it's so... And Brave Heart's not even that fucking good. I know. <laughs> Brave ish heart, Tegan. Screw you. Oh. Um, in episode two, he gets the one good bit in that story. <laughs> the bit where he's trying to convince April when April is there because apparently she's a badass scimitar wielding hybrid thing now. Also, we've completely she's... failed to mention the petals yet. Oh, we'll get to those. We'll fucking get to those. She's about to behead the shadow. I keep calling him Shadow King. King Anal. She's about to behead King Anal. And um, uh, her dad basically says. Like, you've got all this hate in you, you've got all this thing in you because you hate me because of what I did. What I did was selfish. Yes, that was wrong. Don't be me. Even I don't want to be me. Like, you know, you are, the reason why you're better than me is because you are not me. You would never make the mistakes I would. You would never be as selfish as I would. Yeah? Mm-hmm. He reaches out to her and basically says, don't do this. This is not you. And it's brilliant. It's decently written. It's brilliantly performed by Con O'Neill. I was like, oh, good moment. And then her sort of, yeah, you're right. Take that maggot reaction to the to the king was just like you are not convincing me at all, mate. You are not a badass. This is really bad. Also, can we mention that moment where Ram calls Lord of the Rings that this old film is dad like? Yeah, let me get my notes out because I wrote that, <laughs> I wrote that down and I wanted to hurt things. <laughs> oh my god! The Lord of the Rings that came out what fifteen years ago now? Fellowship of the Ring. So yeah, not not not. Not um, massive reasons, but you know, only one of the biggest pop cultural impacts in terms of movies. Of the well, it's last not just that; it's like decades. it's like I mean, it was it was almost a stretch when Spider Man made that joke in Captain America: Civil War. He said like Empire that old movie, back. Empire Strikes Back, because then they make a joke of like, where did you pick up this kid? He's like writing carbon dating. Like they make, do you know what I mean? Jokes about the but, fact that Peter. Empire Strikes Back is an old movie in 2016 because it came out in 1981. Yeah. That's 35 years ago. Whereas, Lost of the Rings? Um, yeah, because if Frodo, uh, she calls it, uh, yeah, he says, he calls her Frodo and she says, what? And he says, yeah, some old movie my dad likes. You really telling me that a girl whose dad was in a fog movie? But this is what happens. This is what happens when 40 something writers write teenagers and don't, as weird as it sounds, either don't hang out with enough, like don't have family members they can sort of draw from, or don't even just prove it. I mean, Joe Cornish for Attack the Block hung out at youth centres and talked about his scripts and ideas and stuff, yeah. got the hang of the lingo and certain sort of, you know, like, um, phrases, and then even had, like, some of the guys that he hung out with at the, this thing for, for research proofread the script to yeah, make sure yeah. that his characters were, talk, were talking properly. Do you know what I mean? And the, the, like, all it would take is you to hand this to a teenager and go, would you talk like that? 
be honest. And they'd go, not really. But then you have to get people in their mid-twenties to deliver it. Yeah, well, not in a two now. Um, uh, two more things about the Shadow King before we move quickly onto the subplot. Yeah. Uh, oh, God, I just remembered in the first part, April's war speech in class. Oh, just the whole, like, you don't really know what war is like. It's like, neither do you. Yeah. And don't talk about it like it's something you go and you die and be all noble. Like, don't, people go, oh, it's because she's connected to the king. He's not noble. I thought their race was just one that choked the planets and slaughtered people. Apparently. Um, when she stabs the first one at the start of episode five, yeah. she stabs it and it just vanishes. Like, there isn't a burst of ash or anything. You know what I mean? It, it, it disappears that quick that it looks like they've just removed it from the frame. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, when the Shadow King comes down to challenge her, she and Rama just stood there talking about shagging and how cool he is and how she thinks he's cool. And don't you know, just be yourself. The king's come down to fight you. He's, the king has just stood there for like two minutes while they have this conversation. Like, what the hell? Just... It's, it, yeah. But we'll so. talk about the, one last thing about this story because it leads into the next story as well. The governors have sent, whoever they are, have sent a new person to be headmistress. A walking, talking, vague, blank slate. Under the Moffat banner of Mysterious Woman. She wears power suits. She has bright red lipstick. And she talks vaguely about how you really don't understand what's going on. And That's veil, all she does. Veil threats. Veil threats. Although at one point, a gun. She just has a gun. Yeah. Because of course she does. She threatens a child with a gun. Okay. But she's not an evil character. They don't do anything to make her seem like a baddie. But that happens. And then they never mention it again. Like I don't care about the, the goings on. Matus, as much into the, as much into this world he is, would go to the police and be like, "Yeah, I had Mister Shut up at our house and pointed a gun at me." Mm. Um, so there's that. She's trying to fight off an invasion in the subplot of these petals. Now this is already weird because the previous episode was about a plant-like creature. This one's also about a plant-like creature. These are little petals, the kind of things that come off the tree in autumn, early autumn, end of end of summer, early autumn. Blossom. But the, the, the blossoms. But it's the wrong things. time of year for blossoms. Wrong time of year for blossoms. Uh, and what happens is, one of them lands on you, it seems to have teeth. It feeds off your blood. The moment it's had a little bit of taste, it multiplies. So it's vampire gremlins. Cool idea, sort of. If you're going to go somewhere with it. Their idea is the world's going to be destroyed, everyone's going to be eaten or suffocate because they'll be drowned in the oceans of these things. Um, If we don't stop them, it's going to happen within a matter of hours. It's like, okay. There is a cool idea here. There is. Somewhere. There is a cool idea in this. When we first see, when you first see in part one, the, the, the half-eaten squirrel amongst the petals. Yeah. You're like, what is this? I thought there were some nice effects in there. Yeah. Um. And an but it's the subplot. Yeah. It's an interesting concept that's completely ignored in favour of shit that is poorly defined and no one cares about. And also hilarious when you realise that the monster this week is bags of fake blossoms that they've poured into the onto the set. Yeah. They've poured blossoms onto the set. That's the villain. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Episode six. Episode six is called I was detained. Detained. Oh, detained. I so was this detained, is... I was restrained, I broke my spleen and broke my knee, and then he really laid into me! What's that from? That's, that's, that's from a Smith song. Already ten times more entertaining than detained. Yeah. Uh, that was just a live reading by Matthew Watson, available for weddings and functions. Uh, so, 
Detained, this was the episode that I remember the people who liked it online were really lauding about and going, this is amazing. It's like, the idea is it's set in one location. It's the right. bottle episode. It's the bottle episode. But it is also the biggest example of, you can do amazing things with no budget and one location, if you have an amazing story to tell. This episode would work better, and this is the first time I'm going to really bring this up, somewhere in season two of your show. Yeah. Because it is about the tension between the characters and how they've changed since we first met them. Except we don't really know them and we've only seen them for four stories. One, two, three, and four and five. There's one story. We don't know them well enough to give a shit. Some of the tension seems to come out of nowhere. Like Tanya's tension is out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's just nowhere. Um... Uh, Ram and April's like, I love you so much, I love you thingy, but I know you will never love me as much as I love you and it's tearing me apart. You really love me and... You're tearing me apart, Lisa! I don't feel the same way and I know that's bad and I wish I could change that, la la la. It's something that would be entertaining if they weren't, you know, boyfriend and girlfriend in script dialogue only. They hooked up like they they snogged two They snogged two stories ago and that was they two, shagged a story ago. That was a two-part that episode. Was it. There was no space in between those episodes. So how much time has passed in between this episode and, the, and, the, and this one? I don't know. So Quill locks them in detention for an hour because she has stuff to do. She doesn't actually lock them in detention. Apparently she just does that to freak Charlie out because April reveals that, oh, she gave me the other key. Like, see, we're not locked in here. I've unlocked the door. She's doing it to fuck with you because you're claustrophobic. Um, but then right. she has, she does actually have things to go and do as we find out later, so she should have locked him in. That I, I'll say that that was an interesting idea. The idea that we saw this story, and then we saw what was happening in the subplot as a second episode. Which might be the worst title of the entire series, but we'll get, we'll to, get that. to that. So a bunghole in time opens outside the door, a meteor shoots through, and every t- they're suddenly in a blank space-like space. And every time someone holds the meteor, they experience a childhood trauma... And then they make a confession uh, or a truth about someone else in there or about all of them. Like a sort of dark confession. Was a dark confession. It's just petty teenage confessions, but whatever. Um, and then they're able to ask the meteor questions. I will say it again. Monster of the Week show. The villain this week is a voice we hear in their head a few times in the last 20 minutes. And a rock. And a rock. Apparently the rock is a sentient prisoner. The rock was its prison. But we don't see it. We also don't see any of the flashbacks, you know, which would actually build fl- flesh stuff out. They just tell us while a fisheye lens shakes in front of their face what they're seeing. Again, Matus is the only performance that is subtle and nice. He gets some really weird dialogue about reading Narnia books as a kid that Charlie doesn't quite understand when he's trying to make a point to him. That is delivered really nicely well. Uh, he does. <laughs> um, <laughs> There's no touch. Ram's just a dick. There's there's a slight implication that the rock is making everyone like filled with hate. I think that's actually stated. Well, they they make it more stated when Charlie talks about, like, "I'm not, I'm not angry. I'm just afraid." And then yeah. he's like, "Oh no, I'm angry." But but it doesn't. I think they I, I don't. I don't think they ever describe how that's meant to benefit the rock. The rock, the rock is the prison, and it makes its inmates angry and hate each other, so its inmates kill each other. I think. But apparently, the rock is the prisoner, because when they wipe out the rock. The prison gateway when they get back to the prison the gateway to wherever the prison is opens and pulls Charlie because Charlie says that well known phrase, uh, what is it? I killed the prisoner, and every prisoner every prison needs a prisoner. So they exchange him. For, okay, let's look it's, at my notes real like, quick here. It's, it's like I've said before. 
everything in this show is poorly defined and poorly explained, despite everyone having a ton of exposition. Episode 6, I wrote down, character tension episode that is way too early. Yeah. This should have been in a later season. Ha! Um, <laughs> where actual tensions build up. Yeah. Um, not showing the visions makes it look even cheaper. Because yeah. we don't change location. This is the edge of destruction of class. Now let me explain what I mean. Let me explain what I mean about this. Glory. Third Doctor Who story, um, which is actually called like Inside the Tardis or other other titles, but the DVD release, like the final title, is Edge of Destruction, is a story set in the Tardis where basically Susan, Ian, Barbara, and the Doctor start acting really aggressively and horribly toward one another. It takes place over two episodes. It's basically a filler. Like the budget went into Daleks, into the mutants, and then uh, into Marco Polo next. Um, yeah, it's that's where the budget was going so they needed two episodes using just the TARDIS set and by the end of the story you find out that something to do I think it was with like one of the landings in, in the fast return the switch Dallas, the fast return switch thing. basically stuck so they were heading back to the beginning of the universe yeah and the TARDIS was because this is sort of the first time you really get the sense the TARDIS is alive because basically somehow it was affecting them all yeah so they would sort it out. it's got a bit of a cop-out ending the Doctor's like oh I fixed it now and we're fine yay and they don't really talk about it again but it's told well and it's kind of scary to see these characters you've watched for the last like 10 weeks be horrible to each other all of a sudden these lovely people apart from the doctor who's a dick at this point like yeah. but even then you've been with them 10 weeks you feel you know them barbara and ian's personalities are very clearly defined susan is a very likable like sympathetic character like you feel you you, you want to protect susan she's the kid well, yeah you know I mean, at this point anyway yeah i yeah. uh, like you know so that you you feel a certain way about all the characters. You've when had more happens. episodes of this than you have of class to get used to. Yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah. Is, what is, is the point we're making here? Yeah. Um, but also it's just a weird thought that it's like season one and they've already got that episode where they clearly have just gone. Oh, we really can't afford to stick them in there. But unlike Boomtown and other examples we gave, there's not enough here to make it work or worthwhile. Uh, I also wrote down. There's something in here with us! So they all hide behind some fucking chairs. (laughs) (laughs) And the bit where Tanya says to April, oh yeah, typical white person happy ending. Is it a... Do white... Is there a trope where white people have happy endings? Well, there's definitely... The show plays with the idea of, of of racism, but never really gets into it beyond Tanya saying, oh, white people have it better. Which is fair enough, yeah. I understand how privilege works, and and you should comment on privilege and, and the way it, it absolutely. Is, it? But, but at the same time, these aren't the immediate concerns of a fourteen-year-old girl in college in the UK. I mean, maybe is what I'm saying. Be. Maybe they should be, <clears throat> but the show doesn't actually do anything to show us that, other than show us Tanya complaining. Yeah, about that, the, that, that's what I mean. Like, there's, there's, like, there's no there's no overriding influence that would confirm that, yeah. like, she is defensive in that way. She's they don't, protective. but they don't actually show any no. any like. Examples of white privilege. As far they as we just know, show Tanya complaining about. As far as she knows, she's a family with some loving brothers, a bit of an awkward but ultimately loving mom. Yeah, she's a really smart kid, and she's got she's in college, and she's got friends in college. That's like as far as we know, she's doing all right. She's in college early. Yeah, but also her being young is this is when it becomes a point of a, a point of contention between them. Like April says, "You'll never, you won't understand until you've had a boyfriend." She's like, "Oh, there it is," and it's like. What do you mean, there it is? And also, what do you mean, there what is? You don't have a boyfriend. Let's skip ahead, because I'm going to hurt things, and I'm also hungry. And also, um, yeah, we need to we need to get, get through this episode, because we need to go and see a movie. We do. Worst title ever, what is it? Uh, uh, episode <laughs> 7, The Metaphysical Engine, or What Quill Did. Go fuck yourself. Go fuck 
yourself? I wrote down for this one, the kitten's dangerous only if you insult their worshippers online. A lot of the fans of the show think that Quill is brilliant because she's quippy and she's really sarcastic and she has really funny lines. That was an example of one of Quill's funny lines. But it's inconsistently funny. Like she doesn't. She's not like darkly sarcastic. She's quippy and then she starts talking about how she is war itself. Like she tries to present as this sort of assured warrior woman and then I know right and then does quippy things. Like it's just silly. Give us the basic rundown of what this episode's about. So the basic rundown of what this episode is about is they have this thing called the metaphysical engine that's been given to the new headmistress by the governors. And what they're going to do is they're going to take a journey into it along with a shapeshifter the governors have imprisoned for some unknown reason who's her surgeon. And they're going to go through different different metaphysical levels of, of stuff to get actual real objects to bring out of metaphysical places because that's how metaphysics works. And then remove the arm that is keeping Quill under control from Quill's head so she can have her freedom back. So, it's a show which is all about visiting imaginary places to find real objects. I'm not going to lie, there is an amazing concept in there somewhere. Someone else could handle the idea of what we're going to do, we need X, Y, and Z to get it, we're going to go into imagination. We're going to use dreams. We're going to use fiction. We're going to do it and get those things from there. There is a cool idea there, but it, it belongs to another show. Like another thing. Like it should be the main concept of another property entirely. Not one the throwaway plot of one episode of a sci-fi series. One that isn't making... Where one of the characters who's supposed to be a member of a warrior race is making <clears throat> quips about cat pictures online. Oh, God. So the places they go to, the stuff they need conveniently, can all be found in versions of their collective, like, afterlives. Yeah. Or, or, or god myths, like, yeah. they're, 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 they're in the beginning stories. The Arn Heaven. Yeah, I wrote, for each realm being an afterlife constructed from belief, so, like, obviously, if it's belief, it's quite strong. Yeah. People who believe in heaven and hell picture heaven and hell. It's, it's a big thing. It's not just like a room with a sign on the door that says, welcome to hell. Um, but for, for realms being an afterlife constructed from belief, they're all clearly small and low budget. Setty looking we have, sets. We have a wicker tent. Setty ass looking sets. In the car park at BBC Wales. We have the cave, which was there two episodes ago. Never reuse a set in an episode really close to the last time you used it. The cave from two episodes ago in the Shadow King's planet is slightly redressed to be the hell. Or, and if it isn't, you've had a cave two episodes apart they look the same. They're lit by torches. Stop it. Yeah. They fight They fight his version of the devil, which all we see is sort of this floating CGI kind of like vacuum. And then we don't yeah. see the fight. We don't see how vicious a warrior she is, even though she apparently attacks this thing. We don't really see much of how vicious a warrior Quill is, other nope. than her doing some kicks. Yeah. And blocks. Don't forget the blocks. Some really badly choreographed fucking terribly shot and incompetently edited action. A shapeshifter pretending to be another shapeshifter was an interesting idea. Yeah, not bad. The idea that Balon was caught on Earth and the Zygons were on Earth at the time so he pretended to be a Zygon. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. Like, he was like, who are you? Oh, I'm a Zygon. Well, that explains how you got her out of nowhere then. Yeah. Yes. Um, oh, but you're not really a Zygon. No. Which is weird because obviously to Earthlings they wouldn't be able to test that he was a shapeshifter because apparently he, he was locked. Like, he had a lock on him. He got No, he got locked when they found him. Right, He gotcha. was locked by the gods. <clears throat> and then the blood could unlock, the blood of his devil could un- unlock his hands so he could perform a surgery to take the thing out of Quill's head. 
all very specific, all very weird. Um, it really hurt me when I saw the, uh, you know, the, 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 where the inside the device, like you saw them tra- transport into the different places and it's sort of implied by the shape of the room they're in that's inside the little device. Yeah. Um, I was looking at it, I was just like, I'm sure bits of that cobbled together because it looks like they've just smashed a lot of bits of set into a wall. Yeah. I was like, I'm sure parts of that are from um, Circuit Board from this Doctor episode. I'm sure parts of that are from one of the spaceships in Wizards vs. Aliens. Yeah. And I'm sure they've basically just gone into this locker, locker, pulled out a lot of tech metal and smashed it into a wall. Tech metal. Yeah, tech metal! Like Jen. <laughs> Look at this graph! Oh, like Tesseract. Oh, God. <laughs> um, and bands of that ill. Few of my notes. Surprisingly, a lot more watchable as a quest show. Mm. Them actually changing locations was nice, for once. It wasn't just the street and a bedroom. Um, and without the kids. But the dialogue is balls, as always. Yeah. Spending time away from the kids, I was like, I'm not, I'm not hating this episode yet. I'm, I'm intrigued by the shapeshifter character. And Quill, when she's not quipping, is alright. I'm not hating this episode. But then the headmistress kept talking. Yeah, she's awful. The headmistress is vague and repetitive, and Quill is going along with her shit so easily, I don't understand it. She's completely fine with going along with what, I just don't get it. Um, I think this is one of the, like, two mentions of Ever Upward Reach. It's never explained what that is. They just nope. mention, like, oh, for the Ever Upward Reach. They don't explain it. The governors have something to do with Ever Upward Reach. Oh, that's nice. What is that? Alright, fine. Yeah, whatever. Clue, they don't even explain it in the next episode where it's apparently explained. Yeah. Um, different edit at the end of this episode from the previous week. Like, this episode ends with the same ending as the last week, apart from when she collapses. So to show that this was the story. We both weeks the story starts with her putting Charlie in the classroom. Both weeks ends with her returning to the classroom, apparently free now, uh, from from his control. Yeah. Um, and with a prosthetic scar that they'll probably find a way around, and if they have a second series. Um, but then when she sort of, she says like she says like things are, mm, and then she sort of looked down at the gun and everything in part, and then looked back up and was like, things are going to change around here. In the second episode, she went, things are. Mm. Gonna change. It was like that's a different take. Yeah, you used a different take. Why yeah. did you use a different take? Yeah, and then she collapses. We're not going to talk too much on this next one because you're going to have a different way to hear our frustrations about it yeah. in the future. But episode eight, the finale, the lost. So the Shadow King are listening to their king again now. Despite April defeating him and dethroning him. It's almost like this show's missing four or five episodes. He comes back and kills Ram's dad. Uh, he kills Tanya's mum. He kills Tanya's brothers. No, he tries to kill Tanya's brothers. He tries to kill Tanya's brothers. Uh, he threatens to kill April's mum. And he uh, then shows up at the school assembly hall. Because that's the battleground where this war itself will be fought. And this episode, nothing happens, really. No. Like, we're told the gravity of the situation. There was a cabinet of souls in an earlier episode that contains the souls of all of Charlie's people, because apparently somehow they've survived. And Quill hates that, because he's like, your people have survived in some way, and mine haven't. That's not fair. The cabinet of souls can be used as a weapon. The governors are aware of it. They want him to use it. Or they don't want him to use it. 
use it or they yeah. want to, to take it for themselves. So, we don't know. But apparently if you direct the souls of your... If he keeps them, he may one day be able to somehow save them in some way. If he opens it now, he can send them out like a weapon and they will murder another's people. They will take a life for each of their lives, is the hint. I don't think they ever say it that way, but that's what I got from it. It's like, each soul will kill a soul. So that's the idea, is our species will kill another species. They were going to use it on the plants, the, the, the petals, in episodes, in episode five. The they didn't. They, they're going to use it on the Shadowkin when they come through this time. But they don't know the Shadowkin are coming through. They just, they just know that the king wants to kill people to get back. <sighs> so there's that. Yeah. Um, then the, the, what about the what about the two reveals at the end of the episode Chris? so Matus was apparently scared that Charlie was going to become a monster by killing people but then Charlie opens the casket and kills everyone and then one of the things is going to hit him and kill him no hit, uh, hit. but it doesn't he oh, ducks yeah, yeah. and it hits Ram in the hand no he gets pushed out of the way by Quill I push the way by Quill it hits Ram in the hand and then Ram wakes up a few minutes later so whatever it was it wasn't deadly what was the point yeah Um. Well, but, but before that April realises the only way you're going to kill the king is if you kill me. So our hearts are completely linked now. You have to kill me to kill the king. So Charlie shoots April. April dies. King Anus face dies. They're dead. King Anal! His people, his the Shadowkin remain motionless because the rules of their people are that whoever killed the king is now the king, so Charlie's their king. So he could just command them to go home, but he's like, no, one day... Before he explains that, they show a flashback to him getting breathed on by the king earlier in the episode, so it implies there's something to do with that, but then... But we know that it's not, because the earlier earlier episode talks about, like, if you defeat the king, you are the king. So why does it flashback to him? And what does the breath have to do with anything? So... 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 He decides, no, I'm going to use the cabinet to kill all the Shadowkin because if I don't, they something will happen and they'll come back at some point. They will. They have to die for what they did to my people and what they could do to Earth. Yeah. So the Shadowkin starts to resist and fight him and try and stop him. Quill and give her five minutes of um, Taekwondo uh, tips and Tanya uh, are the warriors who fight the Shadowkin off. By the way, Quill's pregnant. She got pregnant in the last episode to the shapeshifter. Um, and at some point her baby's going to hatch out of her and kill her and she seems fine with that um, maybe because it means the quill race will carry on it's never established as to why she's fine with it um, they fight off the Shadowkin and the, the, the things kill them all Okay, two things one the governors are this mysterious bunch of people who are upstairs you can get to them you can get to like their meeting room or their hall through a door downstairs in the school lobby reach. In lobby, ever upward reach. It's yeah. in the lobby. Yeah. You can get to them through the lobby. If a kid walks through there by mistake. Yeah. I think it was locked, but I, either way, the point I'm making is that's the secret. Okay. The headmistress goes through and she's like, he used the cabinet. And they're like, oh, we didn't think he would do that. Oh, well, you have failed. And she's like, everything I've done has been, has been in service of our cause. Everything you've done. What do you mean? Like, she doesn't seem to have had an end goal. And she strands Quill and the shapeshifter on the planet in the previous story because apparently it means something significant. But then it doesn't because they come back. Like, what? Yeah, she's uh, it's significant to our cause. I did it. And they all turn their backs on her saying that they're not pleased. Like She's basically hinting she's going to be executed now for having disobeyed them somehow. They all turn their backs and a weeping angel appears behind her and snaps her neck, presumably. Literally out of nowhere. Yeah. 
And then this, the... and it gloats. It gloats because it appears behind her. We, as the audience, see it. Then she sees it. So it's already frozen. Yeah. And then she turns, and obviously, while she's not looking at it, it snaps her neck. Why was it freezing? Other than to go, "Hey, bitch, we're gonna get you!" Like it's obviously gloating and toying with it. And then it stood at the doorway, looking all. Black. And what I love about it is, I don't even think either of the two angel forms we saw were an actor. I think they were the props because they do have prop versions of them. Yeah, yeah. I think they were the props, like from the Doctor Who experience. They've just gone, we need a, we need a standard angel with its arms open and we need a screaming angel. Go. Bring him in. We don't have to pay a performer. Um, the governors basically go, don't worry, everything will be according to plan and the, the ascension will happen. No, the arrival. The arrival. The arrival. And then you see a, a broken tapestry slash mural of like well, it sort of looks like more like an ancient, Gre- like Gre- ancient Grecian kind yeah. of thing. Like there's people with barrels and everything down below, but there are people panicking and scared. And there's flame, and there's a giant weeping angel with no head. With no head. The the, the, the mosaic's clearly not finished. Yeah. Or oh, it's been broken and not reassembled. So it's implying that the weeping angels are are going to bring a giant weeping angel to Earth for reasons. Yeah, because they've not already got one in New York apparently. For reasons. And the governors are helping them? Why? Why? Isn't Why this just the silence and Madame Kaverian all over again? It's like, what are your motivations? Let's stop asking questions that are never going to be answered. <sighs> and start answering some questions of our own. Yes. Um, the first question is, why is everybody looking at me like that? <laughs> the second question... <laughs> As l- oh. We're going to quick fire these oh. as best we can because we want to exercise this demon forever. Yeah. So the first question is from Matthew Jasper. Matthew Jasper says, pitch your own spin-off series set in the unitard of Doctor Who. Um, done it. We've already done that before. I'll reiterate again. It's a series of uh, Ian Chesterfield being <laughs> continuously mistaken for people called Chessington and Chessboard. You even got here. It's Ian Chesterton. Chester Draws. What do I call him? In Chesterfield. Chesterfield. Oh. Which is something he gets mistaken for. He gets mistaken for many um, times. Um, uh, yeah. That's my idea for a spin-off. Uh, mine is a unit spin-off, a uh, uh, unit uh, procedural show. That would be great. Yeah. And lower, ca- like sort of lower case yeah. cases and things like that. Lower, lower um, okay. priority things. Um, Rebecca Jackson. Hello, Rebecca Jackson. Rebecca Jackson says, compared to Doctor Who and the other spin-offs, how would you rate class and would you want a second series? I think the answer from both of us for the second part of the question is never in hell. Uh, but don't worry, even if it does get a second series, we're not going to waste our time watching it. Yeah. Um, where does it rate with the other spin-offs? It's the worst. It's, it's, this show is utter dog shit. Now, I don't think either of us have seen the Australian canine show, but I would imagine it is closer to sort of Sarah Jane and Torchwood in terms of how it's told compared to this. It can't be this bad. Um, I'd, class is the worst one. It is the worst one. Class is literally the worst. It is the worst. Next. Um, Ian McLean sent us a million questions, so I'll pick just one. Um, only one. I shall pick just the one because he sent us a million. Okay. Um, Okay. Do you think it will do well in the US? No. Nope. I think it will do as well as it did over here, which is there will be a small, scary, passionate, like, throbbing, erect audience for it. Who've probably, one, already decided they liked it. Yes. And two, already watched it by torrenting it. Yeah. So, whatever. I think that'll be it. I think that will be it. And I think it will slowly slip away. I don't um, think this show's going to grow. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Even if it gets a second series, it ain't going to get bigger. No. And finally, excellent question, a bit of a thinker, from Billiam Tracillium. Hey! Old Billy Tracy from Five Who Fans. Um, 
uh, of course, he and I attended the class premiere together. Yeah, yes, yes, um, I saw. Yeah. I saw the uh, the footage that got out. The fraying. Um, uh, Patrick Ness steps down. You're both held at gunpoint and asked to write <laughs> series two. What's your pitch? Um, I would turn it into a wacky flatmate show. Fresh meat, but with class characters. Yeah, I would. I would. <laughs> Miss Quill is an alien war- oh, no. warrior filled with cannibal babies. <laughs> April Shadowkin is a big scary monster who just wants to look nice for the boys. <laughs> These two are literally the opposite of each other, but what's gonna happen when they share an apartment? She keeps trying to play violin, but it burns in her hands! <laughs> <laughs> oh god! Um, I, oh god. I would, and I might sound like a broken record here. But she still sings at the, uh, the, the random bar that oh, she god. sings. Creepy folk song. I'm going to sing a song that's the title of this episode, and that's the only relation that it has to this episode. Um, <laughs> at risk of sounding like a broken record, I'd retool it into a unit show with them at a training academy for unit agents. So they're actually in a class that's yeah. relevant to, you know, stuff. <laughs> they might be expected to come across these situations, not some weird, um, Fucking uh, school ran by a weird weeping angel cult. Although they could be approached by a unit to become agents for them and infiltrate the uh, the governors. Unit come in and go, hi, this is Locke called the governors. We're aware of them because yeah. we were expecting, for example, that prisoner. We were expecting certain drop-offs, certain deliveries and arrivals, and these guys have been yeah. intercepting us. We've not let them know that we're onto them. We know that you're involved. Because it just makes the unit look really incompetent. Yeah. It makes Torchwood look really incompetent. Yeah. Because, I mean, Torchwood doesn't exist in its in the form it used to be in at this point. But, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like uh, Miracle Day ends with Jack and Gwen and um, Rex, whatever his name was, Mackay Pfeiffer's character. Stuff. Like, they're all very much alive, so they would be investigating shit. Also, a thought has just hit me. This entire show, first few episodes, like, it's frustrating that they're just like, oh, business as usual. But the first couple of episodes makes a big thing of like, what is this? What are these things? That's the show's premise. It's like kids suddenly discover that the universe is a much bigger, scarier yeah. place than they realised. But this is in a world where over the last couple of years, a bunch of orange um, sucker-faced aliens have just become part of the norm. Yeah. So already that premise doesn't work. This is a world that is acutely aware of the existence of alien life. Yeah. But, so why wouldn't they go to the police with this shit? Ever. Because the world deals with it. The world dealt with those ghost metal men that showed children. up. Children! That star was blasting lightning at London, like, yeah, ten years God. ago. And, and you know, the military dealt with that. Like, are we not going to... Men- I mean, people mention UNIT. Why not get UNIT involved? Why not get UNIT involved? Class, if you do come back... Stay away. Stay away from us. <laughs> if you never come back... We shall not drink to you. We shall not salute to you. We shall not remember you fondly. What I will say is this. You are... I can't think of words venomous enough to end on. You are... You are nothing. Piss poor itself. Yes. You are... Piss poor itself. (laughs) Brilliant. There we go. Guys... 
Never talk to us about this shit again. For tonight we may die. <laughs> if you do. Uh, if you want to catch up with us, uh, you can do Big Dumb Cast on Twitter, uh, here the Big Dumb Channel on YouTube, um, and all that good shit. We'll see you later, my lovelies. Uh... <laughs> Don't mind Matt. He's just at war with himself. <laughs> I've been tonight after <laughs>